Today, we're talking about the viral woman who was dubbed crazy plain lady by the internet, speaking out about her cryptic final destination style message. Mr. Beast destroying the internet. New laws being passed going after the parents of child influencers. There's a horrifying jet crash. Survivors of the wildfires in Maui are crying out for help and in anger. We're gonna talk about all that and so much more in today's brand new Philip DeFranco show. You daily dive into the news, so hit that like button and let's just jump into it. Starting with, we need to talk about 38-year-old Tiffany Gomez, or as the internet referred to her, crazy plain lady because she was the woman on an American Airlines flight preparing to take off from Dallas to Orlando last month. And reportedly, Tiffany got into an argument with a family whom she accused of stealing her AirPods, with that then somehow turning into her marching to the front of the plane, proclaiming that it was not safe and that it wouldn't reach its destination, with her then pointing towards the back of the plane and claiming someone was not real. They either believe it or they cannot believe it. I don't give two f**ks, but I am telling you right now, that And so because of that, everyone on board had to get off and go back through security. But by the time police arrived, Tiffany was trying to get back on the flight. And with that, you can then hear an airline manager through a body cam threatening her with criminal trespass if she doesn't leave. With her eventually relenting, but not without repeating this warning that people likened to a scene from Final Destination. I do not let that flight leave. That flight's not going to make it to her. And oh yeah, until y'all see that flight and over the weekend, in addition to that second video, we've also now seen a third, which was Tiffany's apology. Because for a while after this, no one actually knew who this woman was. So over around the last week, her information started to come out, although it was like a lot of information. She was like full on getting doxxed and all of that leading to her speaking to TMZ, where she called her actions completely unacceptable and saying, Distressed or not, I should have been, I should have been in control of my emotions. And that was not the case. My use of profanity was completely unnecessary. And I want to apologize to everyone on that plane, especially those that had children aboard. Can't imagine going through that and trying to explain to your kid what in the world just happened. With Tiffany then starting to choke up while noting that everyone has bad moments, but hers were caught on camera and that's made her a laughing stock to the whole world. Well, it has been really comical for everyone. Um, and I have highly enjoyed so many of the memes. On the flip side, it is very invasive and unkind. And her then thanking her family for supporting her through everything and saying that she just wants to do good in the world. But her apology has sparked a number of reactions, including a wave of conspiracy theories. So it's the internet, some are serious, some are joking. So countless tweets saying they got to her, whoever they are. Others saying that the Tiffany who made this apology video isn't the same person from the original video on the plane. Others claiming that this is just some sort of marketing ploy. So of course, this is just in addition to people that are like, oh, okay, she had like some sort of break or some sort of episode. But whatever the theory or reaction, many people are still asking that same question question under her apology video that they've been asking since the original video blew up. What did you see? And then, y'all, a jet crashed into a parking lot in Michigan, with there reportedly being a Soviet fighter plane used in the Thunder Over Michigan air show in Belleville on Sunday, where on the final turn, there was a problem in midair forcing the pilot and crew member to eject from the plane and parachute to the ground, with a jet then crashing into a parking lot of a nearby apartment complex. And amazingly, there were no reported injuries, with the plane managing to hit only unoccupied vehicles in the parking lot and both crew members being checked out at the local hospital and coming out relatively unscathed. But this is not the end of the situation because the FAA said, statement that they'd be investigating the crash along with the National Transportation Safety Board. And then, last week's wildfire in Hawaii was the deadliest in modern U.S. history, and people aren't only sad, they're pissed off. With the death toll reaching at least 96 people so far, but that number is also likely to rise as the search and cleanup operations continue. Because reportedly just 3% of Lahaina's charred ruins have been searched so far, and nearly all of the bodies that have been recovered are unidentifiable because of the burns, with Maui County Police Chief saying on Saturday, we pick up remains and they fall apart. None of us really know the size of it yet. You also have an estimated 5.6 billion 
in damages, with thousands of acres being burned, including homes, businesses, schools, churches, and historic sites, all simply incinerated. And as we talked about last week, the hardest hit area has been the town of Lahaina, with Maui County estimating that more than 80% of the more than 2,700 structures in the town were damaged or destroyed, and 4,500 residents are newly in need of shelter. And so now the cleanup process has begun, and state officials say that it will likely take weeks, if not months, to clean up toxic materials left over from the fire. Starting with the most urgent hazards like propane tanks, and then moving on to all the ash and rubble that may contain stuff like lead paint, asbestos, and arsenic. So if you're in a destroyed area, experts advise that you cover up as much as possible with closed toes, shoes, pants, long sleeve shirts, gloves, and goggles, as well as a well-fitting surgical mask or an N95. Also, officials issued a water advisory Friday for Upper Kula and Lahaina, warning that it's unsafe to consume tap water even if you boil it first. But for many displaced residents, the lack of access to PPE is the least of their worries, with a number of them telling Insider that they're increasingly desperate for first aid, food, and water. And feeling abandoned by their government, you have local volunteers with no experience in disaster management helping to coordinate supply drops and organizing neighborhood patrols to keep one another safe. With one resident even saying, I had to deal with a situation that wasn't even part of who I am or what I do. I had to talk to pilots that got grounded with our medical supplies who were stuck on the big island because the Department of Health stopped them from transporting insulin. And the road closures have also caused a lot of grief for people just trying to get back to their homes. With reportedly a near riot breaking out between cops and about 100 residents after police closed off access to a highway leading to Lahaina. And elsewhere, you have local authorities reportedly struggling to maintain order. With the co-owner of a Lahaina bar saying, there's some police presence, there's some military presence, but at night, people are being robbed at gunpoint. People are raped and pillaged. I mean, they're going through houses. And then by day, it's hunky-dory. Meanwhile, you have state officials trying to safeguard the tourism economy by stressing that the island is not closed to visitors. But that has also led to concerns that evacuees will have to compete with wealthy tourists for housing, which already had a shortage even before the fire incinerated thousands of homes. And so a lot of critical scrutiny has been directed toward the tourism industry and mainlanders on the island. With, for example, one Maui snorkeling company having to apologize after it ran a boat tour on Friday while parts of the island were still burning. But then more broadly, people fear that this wildfire is going to supercharge the displacement of native Hawaiians and local-born residents who can no longer afford to live in their birthplace. With residents telling reporters they're worried that when their hometown is rebuilt, the new homes will target wealthy outside buyers looking for a tropical haven. One evacuee telling the AP, I'm more concerned of big land developers coming in and seeing this charred land as an opportunity to rebuild hotels and condos that we can't afford to live in. That's what we're afraid of. Because already, the median price of a Maui home is $1.2 million and a condo is $850K. And while some residents may be eligible for payouts, they're probably going to have to spend months or years wrangling with insurance companies and government aid agencies into giving them the cash that they need, which is likely going to be too long for locals working low-pay service jobs. Or we're talking about people just trying to make ends meet, which was hard enough before all this happened. With a state analysis last year showing that a person working 40 hours a week would need to make at least $18 an hour to afford housing and other necessities, but the minimum wage there is only 12. So you've got Hawaiian residents spending on average 42% of their income just on rent, the highest of any state in the U.S., which also means a growing share of them are being priced out of their home, with many of them having to leave and resettle in places like Vegas and Sacramento. You're literally pushing out the culture. But also in the wake of this cascading disaster, many others are wondering why it got so bad and why they were seemingly so unprepared. Because if you actually listen to the people's stories, so many of them say they never got any emergency alerts on the first day of the fires. And it actually turns out the government confirmed that none of the more than 80 siren towers on Maui went off, with the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency spokesperson not giving a reason as to why, but noting that three other alert systems were activated, including through cell phone, radio, and television. But that also doesn't mean much for the residents who had poor cell service, lost power, or didn't own cable TV because, you know, it's fucking 2023. Plus, the whole point of those sirens is to alert people to check their phones, TV, or radio to get further instructions, right? One isn't a substitute for the other. And getting an early warning is crucial for disasters like this because when the flames are crawling toward you literally at a rate of a mile a minute, every single second could mean the difference between life and death. And you have this disaster where countless stories from survivors describe how it was just this normal sunny day and it turned into a burning hellscape seemingly instantaneously. And so now you have Hawaii's Governor Attorney General reviewing the county's emergency response. But for now, we're going to have to wait to see not only if someone will be 
held accountable if systems will update, but what will happen to the people affected? And then, can Mr. Beast be stopped? When does he hit his peak? Because you may not be aware of this, but every time he one-ups himself now, it's just history. Like, he was on a podcast recently saying he was having to lower everyone's expectations about the release of his now newest video. And saying before the release, guys, like, we, we need to not stress if we don't one-up ourselves here. And that's because the video that he had posted before that was his best performing video ever, getting the second most views in a 24-hour period in the history of YouTube. And then he released the new video and got the most views in a 24-hour period. And so the question remains, is there something that can slow this guy down? Because not only do the views keep going up into a place I never thought we'd see them, the actual content itself, it's doing the same thing. With Jimmy giving a preview of his upcoming video and it's insane. It's like he's doing his own Squid Game Olympics. It's no wonder this guy's having to create companies like Feastables because what ad agencies have the budget for these kinds of videos? Like it's not a one-to-one -one comparison, but Jimmy essentially releases a weekly Super Bowl. Like according to Nielsen, 200 million people watch the Super Bowl, which by the way, is just a huge piece of content, let alone like what parts were they watching? Mr. Beast's last four videos, and keep in mind this ranges from just two days ago to two months ago, his record breaker currently at 68 million views, the one before 115 million views, 134 million, 200 million views. With him also now recently expressing his goal to surpass T-Series as the most subscribed channel on YouTube. Though notably, he is still far off for now. And then, for any of you focused on getting your business off the ground, creating a place to share your homemade goods, or even a personal blog, I got a great solution for you, and it comes from the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Squarespace. You know, I've been partnering with Squarespace for years now, and I have to say, it's just so easy. There's nothing to install, patch, or update ever. And creating a beautiful website with Squarespace's Fluid Engine is so easy. You just drag things where you like, no coding's necessary. And if you need a starting point, Squarespace has so many great professional templates. Hell, you can even sell custom merch easily with Squarespace handling all the production and shipping. Plus, with Squarespace, you get access to all their marketing tools and analytics and their award-winning customer care team via email or live chat 24-7. So go check it out. See why so many others love it. See why you're going to love it. And start your free trial today over at squarespace.com slash Phil. And hey, make sure you enter an offer code Phil to get 10% off your first purchase. And then, ooh, let's talk about some dirty laundry getting exposed. Because reportedly, the owners and managers of Williamsburg, Virginia Laundry Company smuggled more than 100 migrants, including minors, from El Salvador and forced them to work for them. With the Homeland Security probe into Magnolia Cleaning Services beginning back in 2021 and court documents detailing the chain of exploitation and abuse these migrants faced. With them recruiting in Central America, bringing back migrants between the ages of 14 and 25 to Virginia, then giving them fraudulent social security numbers and a place to stay at the laundry facility. But the workers were also told that they owed a debt to Magnolia Cleaning for smuggling them into the country. And so they were expected to pay rent for lodgings, which didn't have heating or cooling and even lacked basic necessities like a kitchen or a shower, with the migrants also facing physical abuse at the hands of their smugglers. One teenager reporting that a manager pulled her hair with orders to get back to work, even beating her with a belt when they found out that she had made friends at school. And these smugglers used fear to keep the workers in line, threatening to deport them if they refused to work extra hours. With Jessica Aber, U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, saying, These business owners enriched themselves through this brutal enterprise using fraudulent identification documents and money laundering to falsify their wage records and just benefit themselves from the proceeds. These individuals lied, manipulated, and threatened their victims using fear to trap them in inhumane situations. With prosecutors back in December announcing a 33-count indictment, and six months later, the two owners and one of the managers were ordered to forfeit over $4 million in proceeds with an undisclosed amount going to the victims. And as of now, they have each pleaded guilty and gotten their sentences, with one owner being sentenced to four years in prison and the other two and a half, as well as one manager who was sentenced to nearly five years in prison, with another seeing only two years for creating false identity documents. And as kind of like a silver lining to this, according to a Homeland Security special agent,
region. The victims in this situation were given resources, including a T visa, which is a visa provided to the victims of human trafficking that allows them to stay in the country temporarily and serves as a pathway to citizenship. And then meet your douchebag of the day, Marquez Jamal Jackson. And I can say that confidently because Marquez was part of a revenge porn lawsuit brought on by his ex, who's only identified as Jane Doe in this, that has now ended with a Texas court telling him he needs to pay her $1.2 billion. Because for whatever reason, this waste of space decided to harass her constantly after they broke up in 2021. And on top of the standard horrible things, like constantly calling his ex with a spoofed phone number, he also posted nude photos and videos she had sent him onto Facebook, Twitter, Dropbox, and Pornhub, with him then going even further and sending links to this stuff to her friends, family, and workplaces. And this poor woman telling reporters that her life revolved around trying to constrain it and that this type of experience is devastating. And it's not like Marquez could pretend he didn't know that the nudes were only for him, as his ex made it very clear that was the case. Although he even went way beyond that. He also managed to get access to his ex's mother's security camera system and was able to watch his former partner. Also getting into her bank account and using her funds to pay his rent. With the jury only needing 30 minutes to award the victim $1.2 billion, which is a billion dollars more than she was even asking for. With her ex not even showing up to the court proceedings. However, the, the reality is she's likely not going to see anywhere near that amount of money. And unfortunately, it's not all good news either. While revenge porn's been illegal in Texas since 2015, there hasn't been a criminal case here involving Marquez. With the victim reportedly having gone to police after the problem, but receiving very little help. Though hopefully headlines like this will make police departments a little more receptive to actually listening to victims. And then, the former CEO of FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, had his bail revoked and was ordered back to jail in New York. And this, because according to prosecutors, SBF was tampering with witnesses on at least two separate occasions. Most notably is the release of the private diary entries of his ex-girlfriend, Caroline Ellison, who also managed SBF's hedge fund, Alameda Research. With Ellison pleading guilty to charges against her and very likely going to testify against Bankman-Fried in his upcoming trial. And reportedly, the diary entries contained Ellison's misgivings regarding her career and position, as well as reflections about her relationship with SBF. And just hours after the New York Times published their piece, including Ellison's writings, prosecutors filed a request to modify Bankman-Fried's bail, saying that this was a move by SBF to try to intimidate and discredit Ellison. And specifically, prosecutors saying this was an attempt to, quote, intimidate and corruptly persuade Ellison with respect to her upcoming trial testimony, as well as an effort to influence or prevent the testimony of other potential trial witnesses by creating the specter that their most intimate business is at risk of being reported in the press. Though it also wasn't just this release, SBF also reportedly tried messaging another FTX executive and was caught using a VPN. And before Friday, SBF was staying in his parents' multi-million dollar home in California on house arrest. However, with his bail revoked, he was immediately remanded into custody of the U.S. Marshals and will stay in the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn until his trial in October. Now, SBF's lawyers have appealed the decision and argued that jailing him makes it harder to defend him because of the massive amount of information that his attorneys need to confer with him about. But this is a developing situation, so we're going to have to keep our eyes on it. And then, child influencers are constantly being exploited, often by their parents, but the laws are starting to change. Though I'm going to let you know, based off of my own personal experience and knowledge of the industry, these laws still fall short. And I say that because Illinois has now become the first state to set up financial protections for child influencers. With a law being signed on Friday and per the Associated Press, it will entitle child influencers to a percentage of earnings based on how often they appear on video blogs or online content that generates at least 10 cents per view, with this specifically falling under the state's child labor law and applying to children under the age of 16. And regarding the adult vloggers or influencers responsible for posting the content, they'll have to maintain a record of appearances and set-aside earnings and a trust account that the kid can access once they turn 18. And a very big deal, if they do not do that, the kid can actually sue. And to qualify, a child reportedly would just have to be in at least 30% of the content over a 30-day period. And in part, this is kind of just an evolution of the industry. Right, similar rules have been in place for children in traditional forms of entertainment like film and TV. But over the past decade, online content has absolutely exploded. And so with that, you had State Senator Dave Kaler saying in a statement, the rise of social media has given children new opportunities to earn a profit. Many parents have taken this opportunity to pocket the money while making their children continue to work in these digital environments. We need to work with our children to see the problems they face and tackle them head on before any further harm is done. With a spokesperson for Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker adding in a statement to Teen Vogue that kids deserve to be shielded from parents who would attempt to take advantage of their child's talents and use them for their own financial gain. And actually, this legislation was inspired by a teenager in Illinois who frequently
frequently saw family vlogs online and thought it was unfair that often these kids are made to participate in videos without any guarantee of the income generated from the content. So she approached Senator Kaler with her concerns, prompting legislation that turned into law. Also, just to get like a little taste of how invasive this can get, you a teen Vogue speaking to someone who had their likeness used by their parent online against their will as a child, with them saying things like their first period and photos of them hospitalized after a car crash were posted to their mom's 10,000 Facebook followers, with them noting that this digital footprint that they didn't get to create, it follows them for the rest of their life. And notably here, the Illinois law doesn't go into effect until July of 2024, but now that the state has passed it, experts say that other states could follow. But that is where I'm going to inject my annoying ass. If other states do this, you have to tweak the law. I don't know if any actual online influencers were a part of this legislation being made or the specifics being put in, but it's very possible that this law actually won't help anyone because of the threshold, which if you're not in the industry, you may not know this. 10 cents per view is actually pretty high. I'll give you a little math example. There are no exacts here. Let's say you have a family vlogger who puts out a video and they average a million views per video. And then let's say they have a sponsor in every single one of those videos. Depending on the brand and the quality of the ad sales team, those people may make anywhere between between five and $100,000 for a million views. So based off of the number of family vloggers I've seen, let's say it's twenty dollars to $45,000. When you split that across a per view payout, you're looking at two to 4.5 cents. That is far below the 10 cent threshold. And so I think the only kids that are gonna be affected by this are, like, you'd probably count them on two hands. People like the kid from Ryan Toys Review, for example. And that would only be because in addition to the YouTube ad revenue and any kind of paid sponsorships, there are merch and toy powerhouse that find themselves in big box stores. So the amount of revenue coming in is on another level. But for the other 99% of kids being featured in content, like they're not going to get anywhere near the threshold for this to matter. And so my hope in reporting this is, yes, we see more states implement laws like this, but also they do so in a way that's actually going to do something. And that is where your daily dive into the news is going to end. But for more news you need to watch right now, I got you covered right here. You just click or tap or it's in the links down below. Or if you've already seen everything, don't worry, because my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll be right back here to talk about more news with you tomorrow.